Scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And if you're visiting with us or new uh, to Christianity or to the church or to Reformed thinking, when we say Reformed, one of the things that we mean, of the many things that we talk about, one of the things we mean is that we are under God's Word. We're not over it. We don't get to interpret it any way that we want. We don't get to say anything we want about it. We are under, subject to, the Word of the Lord. It is His Word. It is the King's Word, which is why it's an authority over us. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you for that introduction. Very well said. The authority of Scripture. Also, one of the things we we mean in Reformed theology is uh, we could take a verse of the Bible and spend like more than a half hour talking about it. There's going to be so much here. It's going to blow your mind. It's blown my mind. Many of us have come to the fifth commandment and thought, ah, parenting. Well, a sermon could be preached just on parenting in the fifth commandment, but it also could be dealt with with regard to church authority. That's a whole nother sermon. What about the civil magistrate and the civil government authority? That's a whole nother sermon. Maybe that's the next three weeks of sermons. I don't know yet. But this morning, we're going to see how to actually see them all together and how we're all under authority and some of us are in authority. What are we supposed to do? And what are we supposed to not do? The Heidelberg Catechism on Lord's Day 39 says, What is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? That I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. Submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline. And also that I be patient with their failings. For by their hand, God wills to rule us. Those are very potent words from the Heidelberg Catechism. And I will be quoting often from Westminster. Our our outline will be, what do we do when we're not in authority? In our, our relationships, in the family, church, and commonwealth. Then what do we do when we're in authority in the family, church, and commonwealth? But then what do we do when we're equals in the family, church, and commonwealth? There will be much to discuss tonight in small groups, I promise you. What do we do when we're not in authority? As the larger catechism says, when we're in the inferior, not based on worth or value, but in position. First in the family, as a child. Well, what does honor mean? Well, the larger catechism will say reverence, prayer, and thanksgiving should be given to those who are in the superior relationship. Imitation of virtues and graces. Obedience to lawful commands and counsels. Submission to corrections. And then one additional thing from what I just read from Heidelberg, 
patience with their failings. Thinking particularly from children to parents. Calvin summarizes all of that in give reverence, gratitude, and obedience. Reverence or honor refers in part to the calling your parents who have been a parent. What's that calling like? Honor is due to a parent in part because of the weightiness of it. Because the Hebrew word for honor can also refer to something's weight. So if you think about silver or gold, they're very valuable, but they're very weighty. They're substantive. That's the task of a parent. Let me just, let me just say this boldly and loudly and clearly. No one is more valuable in a child's life than mom and dad, even over and above the teachers in the school district and the federal government. That's the teaching of Scripture. No one is more important than, than your relationship as you're growing up to your mom and your dad. And there are expectations that this commandment is placing on us who are children, regardless of our ages. Reverence or honor is in the heart, word, and behavior. So think, speak, and act with respect. Gratitude can be expressed in one way by praying for our parents because they desperately need it. Thankfulness for all they do and sacrifice for you. But also, as the Heidelberg Catechism wisely said, patient with their failings. Because our moms and dads are not perfect. They're sinners with a high calling to be a parent. It also says, obey as we imitate them in their virtues and graces. As they are older believers, Lord willing, in the faith, there's a, a reason to imitate. There's something to imitate. That's, that's part of the high calling of, of being a parent. Where do kids learn what they're doing? Of course, when they reach a certain age, it'll be from siblings or friends at school or on the sports field. But where are they going to learn how to handle all of those difficulties? They have people they're watching all the time who live with them, who have way more influence than any other adult in their life, Lord willing. Render obedience to them in lawful commands and counsel and submission to corrections. Think of the second person of the Trinity incarnate in the flesh. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Mary treasured 
the human childlike obedience of her child. And he rendered that because he knew no sin. He never sinned, even as a child. Obeying the lawful commands and counsels and being submissive to correction. Notice the Bible never calls us to sin, though. Children of any age don't obey when told or shown to sin, nor should they tolerate any kind of abuse. There are limits to obedience. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, chapter 6 of that book, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. One of my professors was teaching on this topic and said it can be very difficult if our parents are not believers and they're still our parent. There's a level of respect and honor that is still due, but especially as we age, what, what does this obedience and respect look like in submitting to, to corrections or lawful counsel? Then that professor proceeded to tell the whole class of 50 to 80 guys that he distinctly, vividly remembers running through the neighborhood with he and his brothers, preteen and teenagers. But they, they weren't running to play. They were running away from their dad who was chasing them. Violently. We're not supposed to tolerate that. Children of any age are not supposed to tolerate any abuse. That's not what's being taught here. Diane Langberg, I have her book here, uh, wrote a book on redeeming power. She's one of the best counselors uh, in the country right now. She's in our denomination. Been doing it for nearly 50 years. She says abuse means to misuse or use wrongly and encompasses the ideas of exploiting, causing injury, assaulting, and perpetrating violence in offensive language. When a relationship is abusive in any form, the story being written is twisted and damaging. Abuse is the misuse of power, she goes on to define. Whether physical, emotional, verbal, economic, or sexual, none of it is to be tolerated. So, The larger catechism is very wise, even though it says in Leviticus, it comments from Leviticus 19.3, every one of you shall revere his father and his mother. That's not 100% all the time in every circumstance. Obviously. Usually, God willing, it is. Because we have parents who are trying to lead us to the Lord. We're trying to encourage us and help us. So therefore... The larger catechism goes on to say the sins of inferiors to superiors in general would be not doing anything that's required. Or it could mean rebelling against their lawful counsels, commands, and corrections, or cursing, mocking, and dishonoring them. So in Exodus 21, we'll see this someday when we get out of the Ten Commandments. Also in Leviticus 20 and Proverbs 20 and Proverbs 30, It is a very bad thing to curse your parents. 
Obviously, I can't get in all of the details of what godly submission and obedience looks like as we age to our parents. Because it's not the same. Godly wisdom would tell us. We don't treat our parents the same way when we're 5, 10, 15, 35, 55, whatever. But many of these principles are the same, regardless of who our parents are. There's a level of honor. There's a level of gratitude, of reverence, of prayer, of thanksgiving, of verbally commending for all that they do and have done for us. And not being rebellious and listening to them. What about in the church? Because part of what I'm going to try to show us this morning is that we're all under authority in various spheres. There's three in particular, but we have to start with the most meaningful, the most intimate one, which is in the family. Where are we going to learn how to be submissive in the church or in the commonwealth? In the family. But that extends itself, secondly, to the church. Paul will say to imitate him as he imitates Christ. He's saying that to all of the believers. He calls Timothy, Titus, and Onesimus his children. 1 Corinthians 4.17, 1 Timothy 1.2, Titus 1.4, and finally in verse 10. Jesus will say in Luke chapter 8, verse 21, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Of course, he recognized he had a, a natural mom and dad, but he's extending the circle a bit to say, well, we're also in a submissive relationship. We're in relationship with people in the body of Christ. The fifth commandment speaks to that as well. Proverbs 1 describes a a father teaching his son wisdom, but that's a father personified, not just simply the biological father, but a father in the faith. In Proverbs chapter 1 and following. But specifically think of who we should show reverence, gratitude, and obedience to here. That would be elders. That's the the inferior relationship that we have within the realm of the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 basically says that same thing. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double what? Well, of of double honor. It's, It's the same word in Greek. Of double honor. Why the reverence and the honor for our leaders in the church? It's the same concept as when the we honor our parents. Part of it is because of the responsibility that they have. God bless them. Elders in the church don't walk in to worship just with their own problems. They see you, and they're your shepherd. They carry their own weight. They help you carry yours. There's a reverence because of the weightiness of what it means. Reverence and honor, but also gratitude and obedience. What would gratitude look like? Same thing with the parents. Prayer. We need it. Pray for your leaders. Pray for more. Tell them. Show them a heart of gratitude. 
pray and encourage. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Pray for us. What I said about children in a parenting relationship is also true with regards to our church context. We don't tolerate sin. We don't tolerate someone telling us to sin. Abuse can happen in the church like it can happen in the family. We're not going to agree on everything. You won't agree with everything we decide. But I have really good news for you. In our form of government, we have an appellate process where we are under accountability to a presbytery and to a denomination. If we're in a judicial case, and we decide something related to you and your family that you don't agree with, you can appeal to the presbytery. And if they decide something that you don't agree with, you can appeal to the standing judicial commission of the denomination. And each one of those layers is a layer of protection with the plurality of elders because we're all, including you, sinners. But we won't agree on everything. And I would just humbly ask that you'd not treat us with disrespect or our wives or our children. If there's something that you don't agree with, any of us, as you well know, would love to talk to you. And we would be glad to do so. What about the civil government? We're all in the same boat on that one, to my knowledge. Oh, my goodness. What about the civil government in the commonwealth? David addressed King Saul as father in 1 Samuel 24.12. The Hebrew king's name Abimelech literally means father king in Hebrew. People showed honor to kings throughout the Old Testament, as you well know. Reverence and obedience can be seen in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Verse 17 says, honor the emperor. That same word there, the same word, honor and revere. We could go all day on Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, teaching submission and obedience to the civil magistrate. God placed them there. He's ruling through them. Jesus said, even in his own day, to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. He didn't baptize and agree with everything the Roman government did. He submitted to the Roman government, and he said to pay taxes. What does it mean for us to submit to the civil authority? The same thing as in the family and in the church. First of all, are we praying for whoever is in local government, state government, and federal government, regardless of the party? That's what it means to be a Christian. We don't agree with everything anybody decides. Not totally, but we should pray. For all those in authority over us, we should render obedience as much as possible in all circumstances without a rebellious spirit. 
recognizing that God gets to tell us what to do. And He does that through the civil magistrate. What about civil disobedience? There's room for that. Just like there is in the family and in the church. Because what if the civil magistrate tells us to sin? As may be happening more and more in our own country. We refuse. We saw that with Miriam grabbing Moses out of the water. In Exodus chapter 2 and 3, she refused to have Moses killed. I'm going to talk about that next week. The sixth commandment. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel himself, Joseph and Mary fleeing to Egypt from Herod, my own wife, several years ago as a nurse, scrubbing in for someone who had had an abortion, but not to help the doctor do it. Hard calls. Calls for civil disobedience. Civil. Our disobedience shouldn't be demonstrating and brutalizing others and causing more disruption and destruction. That's further sin. But there is much wisdom, and we need much wisdom in our day and age to know where can we render obedience? Where must we draw the line as Christians? Can I just boldly say you won't find the answer in current American politics? The church has to stand up and speak out on what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. And it doesn't look like Democrats and Republicans. Where in any of this, where you are in submission to authority, do you need to repent? Parents, elders, or the civil magistrate. There's much to repent of for all of us. But we also have relationships where we're actually in authority. That's even being addressed as well. In the family, where we are in authority as parents, what's required in the larger catechism of the superiors to the inferiors? To love, pray for, bless, instruct, counsel, admonish, protect, provide for them all things necessary for soul and body to preserve that authority which God hath put upon them. This is connected to the fourth commandment I spoke of last week about spiritually caring for our own children and bringing them to worship regularly rather than doing other stuff on the Lord's Day. You see that in Westminster Confession, chapter 21.6. But God is to be worshipped everywhere, in spirit and in truth, as in private families daily, and in secret, each one by himself, so more solemnly in the public assemblies, which are not carelessly or willfully neglected or forsaken, when God by His word or providence calleth thereunto. And I saw from, again, Luke chapter 2, he tells us Jesus' parents took him to the temple. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, teach them diligently to your children, as in all of the law of God. 
We should instruct and provide everything necessary, obviously in protecting them from all evil, whether that's in the school, whether that's in the neighborhood, whether that's in the church, wherever it is, we protect our kids from all evil. We provide for them everything necessary and good, but that's holistic. That's simply feeding them and clothing them. But everything that we vowed to do in their baptisms, spiritually, we owe that to them. God expects that of us. The larger catechism continues. What are the sins of superiors to inferiors? How do we sin against them? Besides not doing those things that I just said, seeking of themselves their own glory, ease, profit, or pleasure, commanding things unlawful or not in the power of inferiors to perform, correcting them unduly, careless exposing or leaving them to wrong, temptation and danger, provoking them to wrath, or in any way dishonoring themselves, or lessening their authority, or by an unjust, indiscreet, rigorous, or remiss behavior in totality, harming them and allowing them to be harmed. Again, what I said earlier, this rules out all abuse. It condemns it. Parents lose authority. And that happens purposefully. Care spiritually, also physically, for children. What about in the church? What are elders supposed to do as superiors? All those things that I just said from the larger catechism. Provide to a lesser degree, uh, but spiritually through the word. Uh, We've seen elders are to keep watch over our souls as those who have to give an account. We protect the sheep from wolves, as well as wolves in sheep clothing, as well as wolves in shepherd's clothing. We have to protect against false doctrine and any kind of abuse. I handed a book to all three of our elders by Michael Kruger that he wrote last year called Bully Pulpit, which is addressing the culture of abuse in church that we've seen all over the news for the last 20 years, more and more. That can't be tolerated. Michael Kruger says that elders should create a culture that resists spiritual abuse, and he goes into how to do that. We resist all abuse. Be willing to confront you on anything. Because we're here for your holiness more than your happiness. Because no one's truly happy living in their own sin. But that might, be, that might mean we have to be willing to risk relationship with you. But that's our calling. But you don't tolerate sin. We don't either. We shouldn't either. I vowed in my ordination, public and private life, to walk in exemplary piety. And I have to be held to that. All ruling elders vowed to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church. They have to be held to that. What about in the civil magistrate? Well, the 
Westminster Confession is shockingly very clear that Christians can serve in the, in the civil magistrate. It's not a sin to be involved in politics. It can seem that way because it's almost hard not to think you've got to tolerate sin or publicly do things that are wrong to be a politician, but the civil magistrate needs believers, believers who have good theology and don't try to co-opt the entire church and the pulpit with one person or one party, but will speak against sin and unrighteousness to everybody. They have to call out what is sinful and what is unjust, even though most politicians today don't even know what that means biblically. But if we're in politics, that's what we're supposed to do. The civil magistrate can't administer the word or the sacraments. The civil magistrate cannot, should not administer church discipline. That's the job of sessions and presbyteries. They can't interfere in matters of faith. It should protect the church and allow it to function freely. And when any of those things are encroached upon, we have a right to say something. And we should. And that's not us playing politics in the pulpit. All of these layers, yet again, if you're, a, if you're a parent, if you're an elder, if you're in the civil magistrate or civil government in any way, there are, are restrictions on what you should do. You can't call us to sin, but you're supposed to lead us. And you should do so in godly ways. But repent when you fail to those you're called to lead. But finally, what about when we're in equal relationships? I asked my children that last night after going through all of this with them and I asked them who were their equals and they kind of looked at each other a little bit like, other children? (laughs) It's like, brother and sister? Fellow elders? Fellow citizens, the larger catechism says equals should regard each other with dignity and worth and mutual honor, rejoicing in each other's gifts and achievements as their own. That goes to siblings. Rejoice in their gifts, even if those gifts aren't yours. That goes to other members of this church. Rejoice in their prosperity. Rejoice in their gifts. Celebrate with them that they're better than things than, than you are. Same thing at, when I go to Presbyterian on Tuesday, praise the Lord. There are so many other men there, so much better at so many things than me. And a lot of them are older and wiser. And I call them frequently to ask questions. And I celebrate. When there's a church planted in our presbytery, I celebrate. If one of them is growing faster than we are, I celebrate when someone finds a pastor 
we celebrate the prosperity of others. Treating each other with dignity and worth and value. It goes on. The larger catechism says, equals sin against each other when we undervalue others' worth, when we envy gifts, when we grieve at their advancement of prosperity. How can I be set free from that? Because our natural tendency, whether we're superior or inferior or equal, is to do the opposite of what we've just read. To say, well, but I want to be ahead of you. I, I want to have more than you. I want to be recognized more than you. I want to be celebrated more than you. I want to have a step ahead. I don't naturally treat people with dignity because I'm a sinner. But as equals in the family and in the church and in the civil magistrate, we're called to it. How do we do it? You and I have been freed from only thinking about ourself. Because Jesus didn't only think about himself. Think about this. He made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant. Being made in the likeness of God. And then being made in the likeness of man. He became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. But he didn't do that for equals. He was the only one who was truly superior in all of his relationships. Made himself inferior. Therefore, he can and should be trusted. In our relationships, when we are the inferior, knowing he is ultimately in control and will right all wrongs done against us, we can honor him in every relationship where we are superior. Because he made himself nothing for us. We can treat everyone else with dignity, and worth, and value, and celebrate their successes. Because he made himself nothing, even below an equal, obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, brothers and sisters, let us be obedient. When not being called to sin, under all authority, the family, church, and commonwealth, let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the model in all of these circumstances in family, church, and commonwealth of what it even looks like to submit unto death to a violent, sinful government, the likes of which we have never seen in our lifetime. And yet you do not tolerate sin. You paid for our sin on the cross. Encourage us in our relationships to authority. Help us when we have been crushed by authority. Encourage us and convict us when we have crushed in authority. And encourage us in our relationships with our equals. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.